to speak directly to the cartel. We're, we're done talking to the Biden administration. We're going to replace Biden in November 2024. Harris doesn't have a shot. Our old people don't like her. The cartels, are you watching from your comfortable TV? Cartel member here. You're going to have to change your business model, son. <laughs> I'm telling drugs. We're about to secure 1,954 miles of our border. <laughs> about to be impeached. We're going to control... Then we've got to get Kamala Harris, the legitimate president of the United States. We're going to control <laughs> and secure the state and county roads. We're going to seize your vehicles. We're going to chip them and send them back to you. giving away the whole game plan right now. We're going to arrest and flip your men. We're going to chip them. And send them back to you. <laughs> chip them. Gonna chip them. You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna tag them like they're sharks you to build your and make tunnels. a nifty app where people can watch the privacy of their own home if there's a cartel member near you. We're gonna you. see you spend millions, <laughs> put a lot of work into building your tunnels. We're gonna watch that tunnel. We're gonna noodle it in Spain, yo, man. We're gonna let your little criminal fingers emerge <laughs> into United States territory in those tunnels. We're gonna watch and we're gonna arrest and flip those men and send them back to you. And then we're gonna shut down your tunnel. You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna push you into the water. We're gonna push you into the Pacific, to your east. We're gonna push you into the Caribbean and the Gulf, to your west. And we're gonna track your boats. We're gonna capture those boats and we're gonna sink them. them. No. Of your fentanyl from coming into our country. And listen carefully, we're gonna stop every crisp $100 bill from flowing south into your bank. We're gonna identify, into my G -string. investigate, we're gonna roll up those $100 bills real tight. You're <laughs> not even gonna know that they're working for us. We're gonna track your money and we're gonna seize it. You've been living fat for a couple of years while your boy Biden stumbles around and your employee Mayorkas executes your own policies. But that's done because in November of this year, Republicans will regain the majority in this body and our borders will very quickly be secured. So fair warning, fellas, we're coming. Okay. All right. Well, you, cartels, you're on notice. The good times are over. Clay Higgins is coming for you. He's going to find your men. He's going to chip them. He's going to send them back to you. They're going to be chipped. You won't even know. Microchip your dealers, guys. Yeah, that's right. We're no, going to set up a life-size version of the board game Mousetrap on the other side of the border. <laughs> <laughs> this is the time of year. Fireworks. Dealers get spooked. Cartel members 
They run away from their homes when they hear loud noises. You got to make sure they're microchip. Bring them back safe. <laughs> look, look. If your Sicarios, look. If you're cold, your Sicarios are cold. Bring them in, folks. <laughs> you did seem a little bit like Coach O in that one uh, from from LSU. Boys, we're coming. We're coming. The hell's coming with me. <laughs> I like the. I like the. Um, it sounded like the random barks of seals in the background. <laughs> I think those were his supporters. Yeah, they were clapping. That's walruses. You're thinking. Of. <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't really know if that's really smart opsec to tell them what you're going to do. Yeah. So, hey, you guys, you know, uh, you cocktail bosses, if you better, you better invest in some of them uh, chip detectors. So we go be chipping all y'all stuff. Okay. Thanks for the warning, man. That's what's so insane is like he, he, we're gonna take your cars and then give them back to you, but they'll be <laughs> severely bugged. Like like they steal every car from Cinewola or like uh uh Gillesco New Generation and they're like, Wait, what the fuck? Well oh, they can't our all our vehicles came back a day later. It's probably nothing. It's also a little disconcerting that the uh that a representative from Louisiana doesn't understand that the Gulf of Mexico is actually on the east side of Mexico. <laughs> Yeah, he said, yeah. not on the, the west side the pacific That's- ocean to your east and the uh, gulf of mexico to your west uh yeah all right so uh before before we get uh any further into uh clay higgins putting the uh, cartels on notice i'd like to officially start today's episode hello this is chapo for monday july 18th and joining us today host of pardon my take it's our old friend pft commentator back in the cut pft welcome Thank you, guys. It's been a while. We did uh, a sports episode, what, four years ago? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Sports, we're have, yes. sports have continued. Uh, but, They've uh, only gotten better. Before, I, I, I do one thing I want to point out about the, uh, the, Clay Higgins, uh, the Clay Higgins cartel rant is I have to give a shout out to our friend uh, Trev Hagelbon and host of uh, No Cartridge, who pointed out that the uh, Clay Higgins cartel rant has the exact same energy as a sort of mid-90s uh, album skit from uh, the Wu-Tang Clan, you know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, do, you, uh, uh, do, do you know Don Rodriguez from the Bronx? Well, I think you do because we chipped him and he's singing like a bird up at the 125th precinct. Oh, yeah. Clay Higgins could be, I mean, if he ever loses, which I don't think should be allowed, I think that he should be like appointed. He should be the only monarch in America. He should be the viceroy of Louisiana. But like if he ever does lose... He has a bright future as like the head of the police who are pursuing Rick Ross and Lil Wayne to prevent them from <laughs> rapping together in a music video. <laughs> he has that type of look. I've, I've long said that Louisiana should be the only state in America that does have a king. I think that would make perfect sense. And it, sh- it should either be this guy or Coach O would make for a hell of a king. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, they don't like it just doesn't seem right that they like have elections. Yeah, Mar- Marty don't have uh, the king cake baby. I mean, that's. Yeah. Monarch right there, just waiting to be crowned. Yeah, whoever finds the baby in the cake, then you, you get uh, a four-year term as king or uh, until you eventually undoubtedly die of alcohol poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's already uh, how they find the Dalai Lama, who finds the little plastic baby in the cake. <laughs> uh, another aspect of Clay's comments that I very much enjoyed is uh, the strategy of getting the cartels to spend, quote, millions digging tunnels which I think he thinks will bankrupt them. And then, uh, <laughs> and then also the idea he's like, he's like, you've been, you've been living pretty high on the hog the last couple of years with Biden bumbling around the white house. It's like, do you think the cartels were not making billions of dollars while Trump was president? Like did the drug trade stop when, uh, when Trump was uh, securing the border? Yeah. Zero drugs. Oh, yeah. 
made it across the border during mm-hmm. those four years. You don't remember that? We in order ch- to cut your profit margins off at the knees, we are going to execute Hunter Biden. <laughs> <laughs> Just once again, always a joy to check in with uh, with Clay Higgins. Uh, he he really is. He's he's the best congressman by far. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and uh, I think another aspect of like that that of this video that um, listeners will not appreciate, but the, the visual element of him just uh, he's like you know it's Louisiana. He's sweaty as hell, so he's gripping that podium. But he's got his suit jacket sort of tossed over his shoulder, you know. He's hanging over his back like a, like you know like a like a satchel, um, just but you know just just getting ahead of steam up, talking about um, shipping and uh, shipping cars and shipping men. All right, well enough on Clay Higgins PFT. Like you said, we did a sports episode forty years ago, but uh, sports uh, sports continue to go on. Uh, sports is a big part of American life, and. I myself took part in some uh, sporting. Uh, I was at Yankee Stadium yesterday, uh, last game before the All-Star break. Saw the Yankees uh, defeat the Boston Red Sox. So uh, he- heroes, one and all. Uh, PFT, though, uh, this is this is something I actually discovered yesterday. I'm sure you probably are aware of it. But are, I'm referring, of course, to the famous Mickey Mantle blowjob letter. Yes. Okay. Yeah, classic. Okay. All right. Uh, Matt and Felix, are you aware of the Mickey Mantle blowjob letter? No. Okay. Not heard of it. All right, so this is um, on this is on uh, on New York Yankees letterhead. Uh, they they sent him uh, this memo, dear Mickey. As you probably know, 1973 marks the 50th anniversary of Yankee Stadium, and we are going to have a season long golden anniversary celebration. We hope to mark the occasion on Old Timers Day, Saturday, August 11th. Blah blah blah. Uh, they just said we thought it would be interesting to learn from you what you considered your outstanding event at Yankee Stadium. In many cases, the answer is obvious, but we are writing a, to a large number of your former teammates. We are asking you to answer this question for us. Okay, Mickey writes back his most outstanding Yankee Stadium memory. I got a blowjob under the right field bleachers by the Yankee bullpen, and then it says this event occurred on or about. Give as much detail as you can, and he responds. It was about the third or fourth inning. I had I pulled groin and couldn't fuck at the time. She was a very nice girl and asked me what to do with the cum after I came in her mouth. I said, don't ask me. I'm no cocksucker. What? So like only he only got blown once at Yankee Stadium? I think only once in the third <laughs> inning. Oh, okay. All right. Usually All that's right, more I, of like yeah. a seventh inning stretch type of thing or, or before it goes into extras, maybe in between a day-night doubleheader. You have a nice little pause there. But the third inning, that's that's like a once in a career opportunity. If you get horny in the first three innings of a baseball game, I'd say that's noteworthy. Yeah, <laughs> I like that he wow. says uh, she was a nice girl, um, but then he proceeds to basically uh, put her down with the most savage thing you can say to someone who's just sucked your dick, <laughs> which is "I'm no <laughs> cocksucker." <laughs> yeah, I don't do it. I mean, don't you think that's just kind of like when you get into a cab and the driver's like, um, how do I get here? And you're like, I don't know. I'm not a driver. <laughs> you tell me, asshole. Your profession, yeah. yeah. You want me to take the Holland or the Lincoln? I'm like, I don't I moved here like three months ago. Your De- guess is yeah. mine. Dealer's choice. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know, uh, as long as you're going through uh, uh, the lore of the uh, horniest New York Yankees players of all time, uh, are you familiar with, of course, Hideki Matsui's uh, 50,000 50, plus pornography collection? He had a I collection am, yes. of, a collection of uh, some, some, something like 55,000 uh, pornographic films on the VHS, which he would uh, travel The way they with. were meant to be seen. <laughs> he would travel Kids with. Kids today, and, they don't know. And he ran sort of a lending library for the Japanese media. And uh, one Japanese journalist quoted about Matsui's pornography collection says, Matsui is a horny guy. 
all of us are horny more or less, but Matsui doesn't attempt to hide the fact. Yeah, he's, he was open about it. And, and some might say that uh, there's some questions that go along with the journalistic integrity of, of lending porn out to somebody that's supposed to be covering the team. But uh, I mean, guys, we're just horny. That's just that's just a guy looking out for another guy's maintenance at that point. That's more of a like a healthcare issue, I think, <laughs> than it is like a bribery issue or a blackmail issue. Yeah, no, that's part of the brothers' check-in. Yeah, and I mean, the fact that how much do you think he paid for fifty thousand VHS tapes? Because those things weren't cheap. Like his budget, what do you think? Like twenty bucks a tape? I mean, I don't know. I would imagine some of these titles are pretty rare. So you know. <laughs> He's uh he's happened to dig pretty deep for uh, some of these uh you know God only knows um uh what sort of fetishes were included in this library but I would imagine he had a, a fairly wide selection um but yes yeah, so, but you're some of them uh, can cannot have been cheap but you know that's why the Yankees pay big money there was a guy from yeah they don't really you know they tell you you have to shave your sideburns you can't have long hair they make you cut that off but there's no there's no limit to how big your porn collection can be. I like that. It's a classy organization. It's well run. There was a guy that that played um, for the Lakers and a few other teams, Lamar Odom, and he was famous for having said that he's watched every porn video on the internet. So like <laughs> online porn wouldn't do it for him anymore. He had to go like watch porn live as it was being as it was being filmed uh, because he just he's he's exhausted. He's looked at all the pages of you porn. And the internet just doesn't do it for him anymore. So we'd have that to would have to be like a full time job. Yeah, like you would have to have like the thing that Professor X has in the X Men movies. <laughs> I think you would need to just like, <laughs> you would need to sign up for uh, to be one of the Facebook content moderators to see the stuff as it was being put online, like in real time. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, a lot of a lot of horny athletes out there. Um, but yeah, like uh, it, it, you know, in the but in the off season, that's when you got to put the training in to just you know, uh, go into the archives of Pornhub and just you know watch watch every single video. But then you said, wait, he had to go to like por- porn pornographic movie sets to watch them like creating new material before it even yeah, hits he, the internet. You would just have to see a lot of stuff live. So I know he spent a lot of time at the Bunny Ranch, and he would go out. He was as much like a spectator. He was a fan, just like the rest of us at that point. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he, he had to he had to tap into some weird, weird parts of the porn industry and of the sex trade to to really be able to even get it up anymore. <laughs> Jacking off with one of those huge foam number one hands. <laughs> when he sees one of those videos on TikTok, that's like, watch out for a van that has like a lock like this. They're doing sex trafficking. He's like, ooh, like follows them. <laughs> Probably bought jerseys of like the milf hunter. <laughs> got his rookie card well uh, 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 uh as long as you're here i mean like uh, there, there there is an issue in the sports world that has uh semi crossed over into the uh realm of politics and i wanted to get uh your take on it or just if you could maybe explain to us and our listeners have you been following the saga of the like sort of uh the saudi alternative to the pga what is it the liv tour yeah the live tour the live yeah I have, uh, and I, I've talked about this a little bit, but it's it's fascinating, kind of, because it's the public investment from fund from Saudi Arabia started a golf tour that is, I think, it's seven or eight events per year, and um, they're giving away guaranteed money, and they're trying to ta- attract some of the top players in the game, and they haven't been that successful in getting the best players yet, but they're starting to get more and more better players. So they've gotten some big names. They got like Phil Mickelson. But uh, some, I, somebody online called it the tour for golfers who are either divorced or in debt. And that's pretty much the exact demographic that they're going for. Like Phil Mickelson 
he's a gambler. He puts he he bets a lot of money on sports. Um, and he's also got some debts. And so he was a natural guy that was definitely going to chase the money. Uh, but they've gotten there's rumors that they're going to get the guy that just won the open championship, Cam Smith, the Australian golfer. So they're starting to get like players who are at the top of their game to join the tour and the PGA tour. Uh, they have a stipulation in place where they've said, if you leave to go play in a live tour event, you're not welcome back on the PGA tour. So the PGA tour has long been under fire from some of the players because they're not a very player friendly league. They, uh, they don't give any of the image uh, or likeness rights to the players and it's not guaranteed money. So you have to actually play decently in the first two days to make the cut. And then you find yourself making money if you play on Saturday and on Sunday in the Saudi league, they're just guaranteeing just crazy amounts of money. So some of the, some of the players that are not household names, some of the worst players that they're attracting, they're still giving them like $20 million guaranteed. And some of the better, the top name players, they're giving a hundred, 150 million, $200 million to some of these guys to come play. The rumor was that they offered Tiger Woods uh, close to a billion dollars to go play. And Tiger doesn't need it because Tiger's made a lot of money. And so he said no to him. And a couple other players have said no. But with that amount of money, like it's tough. It's tough to say no. If some of the guys like Cam Smith, the guy that just won the Open, I think he's probably made somewhere in the neighborhood of like 10 to $25 million playing golf. And that's a lot of money. Don't get me wrong, but they're offering him a hundred, hundred ten million dollars to play, and it's all guaranteed. And so that's like generational wealth for him, his family. It's tough to like to look at the individuals that are taking that deal and say, "Well, you're taking blood money to go over, and you're essentially playing on a tour that is uh, a propaganda arm of the Saudi royal family. It, it only exists to improve their image. They're not trying to make any money, so they're not trying to make a profitable league out of it." They're just doing it to, to uh, sports wash their image. And it's a, it's a crazy thing because if that's what they're trying to do, so far they've really failed because the only thing people are talking about in relationship to this league is, oh, this is just a propaganda arm of the public investment fund trying to, trying to whitewash everything that MBS has done. So, so far it hasn't, it hasn't really played out that well for them, but they're going to start getting better and better players to go over and, pay, and play. And my big question is, what happens if uh, I don't think they're giving the money all up front? I think it's okay, $100 million guaranteed. We'll give you an initial check for $20 million or whatever. What happens when that second check is like a couple of days late arriving? Is Phil Mickelson going to be like, hey, I need to speak to the manager of Saudi Arabia <laughs> and figure out, like, that's a tough ask. I don't know what the legal recourse is at that point. Uh, and then the other question is, do they then in, find themselves like in the pocket of the Saudi royal family where they need a favor and they've given you $100 million, it would probably be pretty tough to say no to that favor at that point. Well, uh, better, better to be in the pocket of the Saudi royal family um, than their suitcases leaving a consulate in Istanbul. <laughs> That's so a great point. I, there, there, there's something that Phil Mickelson said that I thought was interesting uh, where he goes, People have people have criticized me for this, and yes, Saudi Arabia does crazy shit. But this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to change how the PGA works forever. Like, what do, is that? Anything is that him just like trying to run the clock out? Yeah, what, you've, what does he mean? You've seen a few golfers take different strategies for explaining why they're joining that tour, and some of them, the the ones that I like the most, are the guys that go, "Listen, I'm a I'm dumb as shit. I'm a golfer." 
Uh, <laughs> they're giving me a lot of money. I don't know what they do, but like, don't look to me for any intelligent way to explain this away. They're paying me a lot of money to do it. I, I almost respect that a little bit more. Some of the other guys are taking the stance of they're trying to grow the game of golf, which isn't really what they're doing at all by any measure. So if you look at their streaming rights, I think they're getting you know a couple hundred thousand people watching on a, a stream occasionally at, at some of the bigger events. So it's not it's not reaching a wide audience whatsoever. Uh, I think they just like and the other thing about it is the tournaments are only 54 holes. So it's like 75 percent of the work that you would do on the PGA Tour for one tournament where they play 72. And that's just too many holes of golf. I would respect it if a golfer said there's just too many holes in a tournament. And I felt like I don't need to be I don't need to be playing all these holes. I don't know if you guys play golf. I'm very, very bad. I rarely, if ever, play. I can't even play 18 holes of golf. It's boring as shit. Like by, <laughs> by hole eight or nine, you're like, okay, I just want to get off the course. I just want to, I'll just drink beers, ride in the cart, and then I'll play like, I don't know, I'll just hit from where your ball is in the fairway for the rest of this round. Uh, another another response to the uh, the live tour was from the uh, the legendary golfer Greg Norman, who said of of he was the one who was trying to like uh, not uh, offer something intelligent about Saudi Arabia, and what he said was, "We all make mistakes." And I don't know if he was mm. referring to nine eleven or um, uh, sawing a journalist into uh, you know portable parts. But, yeah, you know, yeah, he cut. Yeah, he that was that was an all time line. Like we all make mistakes. Who is it for me to judge? I think Phil Mickelson also back when he was doing his uh, somebody was doing a, a biography on him and they asked him about the live tour. And he said, I think this was the end of uh, the quote that Felix said, but it was like um, they've yeah, they've uh, they've done some crazy shit. And I know that they've got, you know, they'll execute you for being gay. And he like listed all of the bad things that Saudi Arabia has done. But then at the end of it, he was like, but, uh, you know, like the PGA tour sucks too. And so maybe the, maybe <laughs> you like compared them to each other a little bit. He's like, maybe the live tour will push the PGA to get better. And I, I honestly think that the PGA tour has kind of screwed everything up on this because they, they put in that policy. And by the way, I'm actually surprised that you guys got me on for the sports episode. I thought for sure I lost my gig to Nick Adams because that dude <laughs> is, <laughs> is 10 times uh, the analyst that I am. He's really taken my, my niche of the marketplace and developed it. I don't even know if he's a real person, actually. Oh, I think it, he's just like, it could be a bit because like, he's the guy who comes out with stuff about how like the all-star game is a fraud because it has LeBron James and not Ina's freedom on it. Yeah. Like yeah, a he'll, fucking, he'll always I mean, journeyman like, center who averaged like four points a game for the fucking Knicks. And he was like, he's well, the greatest player in the NBA today. I think mm. he, he he likes to talk about Tebow more than I do, too. He's like, Tim Tebow, <laughs> if there's one guy that you'd want to impregnate your daughter, it's Tim Tebow. That guy, he plays the game the right way. Uh, but yeah, what, wait, I even forgot where I was when I was responding to that last question. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess like uh, like the, the the point with the live tour is that like for, for these for these PGA golfers, like whether you're have huge amounts of gambling debt like Phil Mickelson or you're just sort of like a, a, a duffer trying to make ends meet. And the idea of getting, you know, millions of dollars just to show up to a golf tournament, not necessarily make it to Saturday or Sunday is very appealing. And it just is sort of like regardless of what Saudi Arabia has done, their money spends. And it really seems like uh, President Joe Brandon and the U.S. government, you know, pretty much in continuity from going back to the end of World War II, has pretty much the exact same attitude towards Saudi Arabia. And I will point to something that uh, happened this week. This was um, 
the Atlantic uh, Monthly uh, published an article uh, just a couple of days ago by Graham Wood, who's one of their uh, one of their big journalists and writers, in which he um, interviews the widow of Jamal Khashoggi and uh, passes along that you know, according to her, he would have forgiven MBS for what he did. And well, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, uh, Felix, you clock this one. This is a also uh, Max Boot. Uh, we all big big fan of the show. We're big friends with him. Uh, he writes here: MBS is a more ambivalent figure than the cartoon villain that he is so often made out to be in media coverage. It's true that he is cruel and repressive, but while illiberal politically, he is liberalizing Saudi society. His reforms are revolutionary. And Felix, I think you pointed out like was it next boot was like friends with Jamal Khashoggi? Yeah, I mean, I've been a pretty bad friend and continue to be, and will be in the future, but. This is probably the worst public friendship behavior I've seen, at least by a journalist, at least by like, you know, someone who isn't like a normal celebrity, like to take to take like the the decapitation, dismembering, dismembering and like, I mean, really just treated Khashoggi like a, a cattle, like just cut up every part of him and put him in like 18 different garbage routes, like in, in Cleaver uh, and go uh, to <laughs> like. I mean, it's not like he's a cartoon villain. <laughs> like everyone, everyone. I mean, he's a Gemini. I'm pretty sure <laughs> he's got many sides to him. Yeah, that's that, if I were to be like dismembered by Elon Musk and then like a week later, Big Cat gave an interview and was like, listen, he's PFT was no angel. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> now. That would give me pause. I would hope that he would come out with a, a slightly more more forceful stand against that. And it's, also, it's also I like how he says it, he's not a cartoon villain, which is like if anyone on Earth is like a cartoon villain, it's him. Well, like he's I mean, the most like one out of anyone alive. He he yada 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 his friend's execution. Yeah, he's like yeah. Listen, mm. they did use a bone saw, but he also has some pretty sick falcons. So who's to say whether or not he's bad? Uh, yeah, he's he's not, he's not a cartoon villain, but the interview with Khashoggi's widow um, was conducted while she was tied to a train tracks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, if they really want to make people, you know, like Saudi Arabia, I really just am baffled that they're going with Gulf because it is, as we were saying, boring as shit. At the very least, they should create the first professional like big budget mini golf tour Ooh, okay. where you got okay. like really big, you know, spare, no expense, uh, 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 courses, you know, like you gotta, you gotta get a hole to get a hole in one. You got to put it ball through the door of the Kaaba or something. Yeah. Massive windmill, the size of the yeah. Burj Khalifa. Yeah. That, that would have universal appeal right there. Uh, they're also going for not just golfers. They're going for the commentators around golf. So, uh, David Faraday, who's the guy that, stands on the fairway and he talks really softly into a microphone in a soothing Irish accent. They picked him up for the live tour too. And Charles Barkley says that he's actually going to have a meeting with the live tour to potentially become a golf analyst. So our, our most beloved sports commentator, Charles Barkley might be making the switch. And we talked about the live tour a little bit on, on today's macrodosing, uh, which is another podcast I do with Arian Foster, who by the way, Arian would be a great guest. On your guys, I did that. No, yeah, I did that show. It was yeah, uh, yeah, was yeah. Great yeah time. You came on. Uh, we did. Uh, what was the episode? It was the Havana Syndrome episode. Yes, yes. Yeah, you are. No, you yeah. are a resident Havana Syndrome expert on that. 
But uh, yeah, they're, they're going after our beloved commentators. And, and I was talking with one of my co-hosts, Billy Football, about this. And Billy was like, you could actually look at these golfers as like the modern day Robin Hoods. They're going over there. They're taking our money back. <laughs> and so they're actually making Saudi Arabia uh, more, more poor than they were before. All you have to do if you want to get some of the uh, oil money that you spend heating your home and driving your car, you just have to get moderately good at golf. <laughs> that is the best argument I've heard for this. He's yeah, like, I, yeah, I debated with Billy Football about Havana Syndrome, and <clears throat> he has really grown his contrarian skills. He's, yes, he's, he's very good at it. Yeah, no, props to him. Uh, I'm sorry, I was, I was still uh, fixated on the Saudi uh, mini golf tour. And I'm I'm thinking yeah like uh, like you said PFT a uh, a windmill the size of the Burj Khalifa, but you know how in mini golf courses like the 18th hole is you know it's like it's like you can't get your ball back uh, you just like goes in and you click clinks down in the bottom and uh, you know you're 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 done no more mini golf I think the 18th hole on the uh, Saudi mini golf tournament should be a recreation of the Twin Towers that pancake perfectly <laughs> when you dunk your ball into there if you get a hole in one the towers pancake perfectly. Which, um, of course, uh, leads uh, directly into the uh, next bit of crossover between the uh, Saudi royal family and sports. I'm talking about Fox Sports apologizes for using September 11th Memorial at World Trade Center for baseball logos. Uh, you know, obviously this weekend there's a uh, you know three game series for the Yankees and Red Sox, and Fox Sports put the logos of the Yankees and Red Sox over the reflecting pools at the Ground Zero Memorial. Now, a lot of people are angry about this, myself included. But I'm angry because they put the Red Sox logo on the towers. Yankees and Mets, that's fine. That's in fact that plane came out of Boston. <laughs> Both planes did, right? I, I, yeah. I, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. I, I agree. That's disgraceful because it uh, it reduces and erases the more uh, important event, which was the uh, marathon bombing, the also real nine eleven. It's true. And if, if you look at Fox Sports's history behind these sorts of things, they actually had a tweet that came out a few years ago that showed um, how much the Devil Rays, uh, the Tampa organization, how much they were spending on salaries. And they had like two players' salaries that were most of their payroll. And then the rest of the team that was like really tiny little bars. But they made it so the two bar graphs for the, the most highly paid players were these identically tall towers. And then they had little rays that were swimming into the middle of them. And it was, it was like very obvious what the symbolism <laughs> there was like Fox sports is addicted to somehow incorporating nine 11 symbology into their baseball updates for the ALEs. <laughs> the last, I, I mean the last like super bowl that was broadcast on Fox. Didn't you think it was tasteless when Cletus knocked down the twin towers? Yeah. It was in the interstitial. <laughs> He should have been up in the air flying like Voltron going after 93. That's what yeah. I thought. <laughs> yeah. It's, I always, I never like that explanation that like whenever you ask Fox about it, they're like, we were getting Cletus to an undisclosed location. And it's like, he could have helped that. Day. Dude, I love Cletus. Cletus is, is one of my favorite little sports things and nobody really cares about, but he's just, oh, a man, he's the best. He's a I giant robot that just loves hanging out around football. I've never seen him actually play football. But he just—he's just always around the sport. He loves the game. I bought a Cletus outfit, like a mascot outfit, before the Super Bowl back when it was—I think it was when it was in San Francisco—and I just walked around slugging Mag, Mad Dog out of it and just trying <laughs> to do interviews and wrestling people on the street. It's shocking to me how few people understand 
the full mythology of Cletus, which is a little bit ambiguous. And I wish they'd clear up, you know, some of the some of the seedier, more gray area parts of his past. He's, but I am I, I'm a huge fan of Cletus. I mean, he's associated. Well, I think Cletus, Cletus is like the American neon uh, neon <laughs> Genesis Evangelion. <laughs> the same, a lot of lore there. He, I, I was introduced to Cletus because I'm not like a football guy, but they brought him out for the first UFC on Fox which they planned to be like a 25 minute long championship fight and ended in a 67 second knockout. So they had to spend like 45 minutes of Dana White just screaming at a broadcast desk with like every Cletus animation for MMA that they had never planned to use before. But I I love him. Didn't Cletus at one point follow Jake Paul into the ring when he was, when he was doing one of his little (laughs) boxing things. I'm pretty sure they had, it was either Cletus or it was a cheap Cletus knockoff that was just walking behind him. Like, I'm not sure. He's essentially a a a, a football based transformer, though, right? And it's just uh, yeah. basically, yeah, 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 very similar design aesthetic. I like to think that he is sort of like a uh, a RoboCop type deal. Like, there's a traumatized veteran inside of him, or something. That's where uh, Pat Tillman went. Yes, there we go. <laughs> he's now Cletus. <laughs> they took Pat. They saved his brain and they threw it in Cletus. For a while, Roger Goodell, the commissioner, thought that he was actually like a branch of law enforcement. So anytime that a player would be rumored to be near a strip club, Roger Goodell would like immediately suspend them and, and he would actively like do investigations and, and, and try to like become a cop. And I like to think that Cletus is just like his foot soldier that whenever a player gets fined like 25 grand because their socks are two inches too high, Cletus just shows up with a piece of paper and serves you your warrant. And when we finally do get like, you know, those Boston dynamics robots to be patrolling streets and, and uh, dispersing crowds at food riots and stuff, I think they're going to look like Cletus. I think that's going to be the design aesthetic. Yeah. I don't know why they keep going for dogs with the Boston dynamics robots. Well, they're trying to get people uh, uh, to lower their, lower their guard. Like, Oh, you don't even love dogs. They're adorable. Then They have a Gatling gun. We don't deserve dogs. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be the new thing. People will be like, oh, uh, like robot dogs with like mini guns attached on both sides of their legs. They're like, they, like some of them have gunned down children before, but that's because they had bad masters. <laughs> yeah, there's they no such thing as bad robots, me. just bad programming. <laughs> what did you guys think about when Cletus wrote that open letter to Kaepernick? <laughs> Dude, has there ever been anybody that got open lettered more than Colin Kaepernick? I think he got, he's the champion, yeah. He got open-lettered so many times by everybody. Just do a notes app, man. It doesn't have to be an open letter. <laughs> well, yeah, that that's well, that's how you like get your name on the conservative Facebook space, or you did like six years ago, was that you were like a small-town police chief, and you write a letter to Kaepernick. That's how Clay Higgins got started, if I I've, yeah, right. Yeah, you get out, uh, that attention there, Mr. Kaepernick. You're going to be standing up for that and up. That's uh, I think that's how long time I think she was a gray wolf, Tommy Lahren. I think that's how she got her name out there. Was that? Yeah. The, the, I think, yeah. She's a long time listener of your podcast, right? Yeah. I, I, I think <laughs> she got her start on blaze TV or whatever. Just, she would have a, a different, like disfigured look on her face <laughs> every couple of days and just be doing a rant. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, don't you ever, don't you ever kneel Colin? Well, actually, no, yeah, here's another one. Uh, Kurt Schilling. Uh, Kurt Schilling, a former Red Sox, and also like you know top top Facebook style political commentator. Uh, he's weighed in. Uh, this is according to him. Uh, Brittany Griner should pay the penalty in Russia. Quote: Obey the fucking law. 
Her chilling clearly has no problem seeing Brittany Griner's detention in Russia drag on. The XL MLB star said Sunday night he believes the WNBA player should pay the penalty for breaking another country's law. Schilling wrote the controversial statement on his Twitter page in a response to LeBron James's plea to bring Griner home. I know this may seem like a stretch, the 50-year-old said, but something like 300 million people understand, obey the fucking law. Why is this such a challenge? Yeah, I, th- that topic is one where you see a lot of, of Kurt Schilling types, like not really knowing what route to take with their argument, like should we be supporting her? Should we, we be angry at, at Biden for not getting her back sooner? Should we be uh, going against Putin? Should we be, we be supporting Putin? And I think the strategy is kind of is wait to see what LeBron James says and then take <laughs> the opposite side of whatever yeah. that is. Because that always plays. It clarifies things. It's much easier that way. Yeah. I hate you, Amnesty. Yeah. No, there, there's... Um, I, I think, yeah, now it is mostly conservative supporting the Russian court's decision to send in sir. Which, I, I mean, I know that it's just, like, many obvious reasons why they took that track. But I like the idea that Kurt Schilling is, like, an ML now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he, he supports Putin standing against um, WNBA-style imperialism in their country. Yeah. No, we need to denazify her. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess the thing with that, like, uh, the, the, the sort of unspoken aspect to this story that uh, I've seen some people point out is that she was only in Russia because she has to play in the off season, basically just to make money because the WNBA. I mean, like, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much she's because she's a star in the WNBA. I don't know how much she makes, but like, it's not enough. So she there's like a quarter mil, I think. Well, I mean, I know it's a lot yeah, of money, but like compared money. to what a, you know, like an NBA player makes. Like, well, like, see, that's just it. It's like if you're a professional athlete, you're not yeah. comparing yourself to regular people. You're comparing yourself to a fellow professional athletes, so the pressure exists. And yeah, yeah I think so. You, it, it's been going on for a while that WNBA players play over in Russia during the off season because they've historically had bigger salaries over there for like the marginal players. And so it's the Russian leagues have been filled with American players for probably going on a decade right now. It's, it's actually like kind of interesting to see uh, how, how the monetary aspect breaks down because I don't think they're exactly like filling arenas with the WNBA players, but it's, it's kind of gone the same way. Some soccer leagues are doing that too. Where it's like, yeah, I go over to, to Russia for the summer uh, and, and try to earn an extra paycheck. And I was I, I saw some of the security footage at the airport. And so she had like a vape pen, but she had some extra cartridges that she had with her. So now they're they're charging her with distribution because they're saying that it was like more than just personal use. And I don't know. I don't know what kind of cartridges they're used to over in Russia. But like that's I think she had like four uh, for her own personal use. And that's like, I don't think she was planning on like distributing that. She she's not a drug dealer in Russia. And then for a while we were told, don't talk about her. Don't even mention her because the more we talk about her in American media, then the higher her, if we're doing like the NBA sort of trade her machine, ransom will that, become. Yeah. That they have like on ESPN when you go in and you're like, Oh, okay. I can get Kevin Durant to the Washington wizards. If I give up Kristaps Porzingis, Cal Kuzma and like six uh, future draft picks. That's what they're saying. Like, if you if you talk about her, then her trade value with whatever war criminals we have from Russia that gets higher. Next thing you know, we're trading Brittany Griner for like the, the doctor of death. Well, I mean, the the guy that they were they were mentioned was that guy Victor Bout or whatever the arms dealer who is uh, that movie Lord of War with Nick Cage was based on. I say that's a good trade. PFT, would you take that trade if it was on offer? 
Yeah, I'd take that trade. <laughs> throw in a couple. Yeah, throw in a couple first round draft picks, and let's call it a day. <laughs> uh, but with the uh, with the the like the Russian like women's basketball leagues, like is, is this similar? Th- I mean. It's hard for me to imagine it's sort of similar to Saudi and, and Saudi Arabia in that they're attempting to kind of sports wash their image. Like is is women's basketball popular in Russia or or is this a way to is this a kind of soft power thing that they're doing? I think it's a soft power thing because the only time I remember caring about any sort of Russian basketball is like when sports shut down in the United States in 2020. Um, I think it was March and I was just looking for something to bet on. And so they're like, OK. <laughs> Yeah, they've got some games going on over there. Okay, I'll take some action, but didn't know where to watch it. That was probably my most degenerate moment as a sports gambler. <laughs> well, actually, okay, this is a perfect segue here. Um, uh, are you guys familiar with the story of the uh, the fake cricket league that was created by a village in India to dupe Russian gamblers and that it worked? Man, if you can fucking get one over on the Russians, <laughs> if you could scam Russians, India is ascendant. That's amazing. Uh, just- Reading here, it says, uh, it's not cricket, but a Gujarat village almost pulled off an elaborate con with a fake IPL, complete with farm laborers masquerading as players. A, uh, even an official telegram channel to take punts for a remote audience of Russian punters addicted to betting on the thrills and spills of cricket. The charade played out in a remote farm at uh, Molapar village in, of the Mensana, uh, sorry, uh, Mesana district reached the knockout quarterfinal stage before the organizers of the Indian Premier Cricket League were caught out by the cops. The gang of cons who set up IPL matches at a farm in a Gujarat village accepted bets from punters in Russian cities of uh, Tver, Voronezh, and Moscow. The cricket matches were broadcast live over a YouTube channel labeled IPL for over a fortnight. So, I mean, yeah, like uh, people are desperate to gamble on anything. And I, creating a fake cricket league for people to gamble on is complete with, you know, like a, like a live stream where you have farmers pretending to be cricket players is pretty advanced con artistry. It seems like a victimless crime. I mean, they wanted something to bet on and they gave it to them. What do you want? Yeah, this just goes to show that nobody really understands the rules of cricket. So you're, you're watching what's supposed to be a professional cricket match and it's just it's farmers from India and you can't tell whether or not they're good or bad at the sport. Nobody really gets it. I think cricket <laughs> is just an elaborate ruse for like for bachelor parties, basically, because some of the matches go for three days. You just show up with the boys and get hammered. That's all we know about. Cricket. <laughs> well, uh, you bring up uh, like, I mean, like sports gambling and obviously like uh, COVID, you know, people were people were licking the inside of the baggie, uh, you know, trying to get basketball from Russia to bet on anything. But I'm wondering what like what your take is on the idea that like I feel like you know when I was watching the NBA finals like every single ad I saw was just entreating you to like join some sort of online sports sports betting app where you can just bet on your phone you get free money to make your first bets and I it's not too difficult for me to imagine a future where like in order to watch a sporting event on television you will have to like scan a QR code off your phone and then immediately start betting on it to to watch the televised sporting event. I mean, like, what do you make of this, like, the rather rapid proliferation and, and, and encouragement of sports betting um, on a national level? Yeah, it's been like a gold rush. It's crazy. So back in, I want to say, 2015, Tony Romo was hosting a fantasy football convention in Las Vegas, and the NFL shut it down. And they're like, we cannot be seen as being tied to fantasy football it's like everybody plays fantasy football. This, this isn't. This shouldn't be like a big deal. And now the league has official sports gambling partners 
and every team is doing all these different sports gambling deals with with you know you name it whether it's DraftKings, FanDuel, those are the two that I see the most um, in terms of like team sponsorships. But uh, it, it's just been very funny to me to watch because every um, every team in every league, but mostly like for the teams and local markets, they have a pregame show that that takes place you know thirty minutes to an hour before every game, and they've all had to set up like their gambling pregame shows now. And so they're hiring people left and right that have zero experience gambling whatsoever to just sit there and talk about like what their best bets on the game are. So you've got somebody who's like 22 years old, fresh out of college being like, uh, yeah, I think uh, the game's being played in Denver. So the air's super thin. Um, so <laughs> I think, I think the ball will go through the ring uh, a few more times. So I'm going to take the over in this game. It's like a bunch of people that really have no idea what they're talking about. And the real, the real sports gambling analysts that you can kind of trust are the ones that are like, yeah, I suck at gambling. Like this is nobody makes money gambling, do it for fun and don't count on it to like be a source of income for you. Those are, those are the ones that I really trust. It's not the ones that are saying, okay, uh, I'm, I'm 10 and 0 in my, my games of the week in my, uh, they always segment their picks into like different names that they give them to. They're like, I got, I got three hot soup, uh, locks of the week, and so far on the season, they're hitting at 80%. So if you just give each one of your bets a different name, then you can go back and cherry pick and be like, yeah, look at this. My ride the lightning bet was 90% on the year. You're going to want to take that. I'm the hottest gambler in America. But the truth is, if somebody tells you that they're good at gambling, they're probably full of shit because if they were good at gambling, they would just be gambling on sports and they wouldn't need to be taking $30,000 a year to do the DraftKings pregame show for the New York Islanders preseason games, you know? <laughs> what if they're really, really good at picking, but they have a religious objection to actually betting? That might be Ooh. why. Yeah, that would be that would be a moral conundrum. Yeah. Like, okay, I can make money telling people how to bet, and then they can go to hell. Yeah. That's an interesting... Somebody should take that standpoint. I would I would yeah. be very entertained by that. I mean, you know, the, the, the official Chapa Trap House line on uh, sports betting is that it does make watching any sporting event funner but like just just the, the number one rule you have to follow here to be to gamble on sports is to pick winners if you win yeah. there's no it's problem the most important with gambling. part yeah i mean like you don't you only have a gambling problem if you lose if you lose money so just just win money by, by choosing correctly and sports gambling is great it's it's the most noble thing a man can do that's the trick also sometimes your losses are the most memorable events of your life too. So I've had like some pretty bad losses, but I just look at that as a tax to make that day stand out in my memory. So I took, I took the Broncos in the Super Bowl where they played against the the Seahawks. And I think on the very first play of the game, they snapped the ball through their own end zone. It was the same they lost. right? Yeah. The very first play and they lost by like 40 points and the game was never close. And I'll, I'll always have that moment to be like, yep, I bet on that game. I took the Broncos. Uh, but like you know, uh, what, 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 what would be, oh, sorry, what would be your advice to like? I mean, what are some what are some ground rules for uh, picking winners? Do you, do you have a system? Mm. I actually I had a system last year. I've been doing it again this year in baseball season because I don't. It's impossible to care about baseball all summer long. Baseball is good for a few things. Baseball is good like the first week of Major League Baseball, and you get to see day games on TV. Uh, going to like a weekday game when you should be at work. That's always fun. And then right around June, there will usually be like a bench clearing brawl that happens. So that's always fun to watch. And then I just kind of forget about baseball until the playoffs start. But 
um, my system last year was just is very simple. It was bet against the Pittsburgh Pirates. And so I did that every game and I ended up, I think I was up like close to 30 units on the year, which is pretty good. It's like, it's unheard of to be that good at gambling on any sport. But if you just bet against the Pirates, uh, it would, it would work out for you this year. The bet hasn't been as hot as it was last year. So that's as close to having a system as I'll ever have. I think that's I think it's an excellent system. I mean, you, you you literally can't go wrong unless the Pittsburgh Pirates win or get good. <laughs> yeah, and then now this year I'm like yelling at my TV. I'm like, you're supposed to suck. You're the Pirates. You forgot. I'm sure like water always finds its level. The Pittsburgh Pirates, right when right when the team or the the entire city of Pittsburgh switches modes into just only caring about the Steelers, I'm pretty sure that's when they'll go back to flying under the radar and losing every game. But yeah, just the um. Uh, but like you talked about, like just like the, the gold rush for sports betting that's going on right now and like the way anyone can do it online, you can do it on your phone, it, like, you know, it ups the uh, sort of the ease and addiction factor of it. And I guess like I'm just thinking about it in the context of, you know, America right now in which like certain vices are becoming legal or like liberalized, like, you know, marijuana or whatever, like, you know, a lot of states it's, it's legal now and there's like dispensaries sports betting you can do now which you know used to be the province of you know organized crime and uh, degeneracy or whatever but you know nicotine and cigarettes is getting cut back and like you know jewels are getting banned so it's just i don't know it's interesting to me like which vices are becoming uh liberalized and then which ones are being cracked down on and i hard, yeah. hard to imagine where, where sports betting files uh, you know sort of uh, falls along this spectrum here so I, I used to i used to bet with a bookie and that was always i i'm a little bit romantic to, to that part of my life where you'd have to like meet up with somebody and you have like an envelope that has cash in it that you have to give them or they have to give to you. Um, that was always a treat, but with, with sports gambling. Now, the one thing that I'll say that's probably good about it being legalized and, and more mainstream is you can't gamble on credit anymore. So you could always bet back in the day with money that you didn't necessarily have, which leads you into a lot of very sticky situations. Uh, but now it's like, okay, you know what your limit is because your bank account is going to say zero at some point, and then you just can't make a bet. Are there any? Uh, what, what, do you have any? Do you have any uh, good prop bets that have paid off for you? Because I mean, like that—that's one of the features of these sites is that you can bet on almost any outcome in a sporting event. Yeah, so I had one that I, I would do last year, which I would call uh, the Jameis Winston hat trick. And so Jameis Winston is the the quarterback of the Saints. He was on the Bucks for a while, and he's the most entertaining quarterback now to follow because. You don't know what's going to happen on any given play. Like he could, he could throw a ninety-yard touchdown. He could come up with a new way to get sacked, and right before he gets sacked, he like throws the ball off the upright and gets intercepted for a touchdown. Or he could like throw a ball at a referee and blind him. You never know what's going to happen with him. So I would, I would put a bet in uh, to have him throw a touchdown, throw an interception, and lose a football for a fumble. Uh, at some point over the course of the game, you want to check off all those boxes for the James Winston hat trick. So. That was fun to bet on. As far as other props, I usually like I I'm a pretty simple man with simple tastes. I just like points. So I like to root for more points as opposed to fewer points. So when they announced that the first game of the season was going to be the Rams and the Bills, I just looked at that. and I was like, OK, I'm, I don't know what the over is going to be, but I'm going to bet on the over no matter what it is. And that's how you can tell I'm a really shitty gambler. I don't even wait for the number. I'm just like, OK, you can throw out whatever arbitrary point spread you want. I'm going to take the over on it. I mean, because you're a sports fan. I mean, who who would who wouldn't want to see more points rather than fewer of them? So I mean, yeah, bet you know, be the change you want to see in the world. Put your money where where your hopes lie. 
which is seeing a high scoring game. I'm putting it out in the universe. Yeah, I'm sending good vibes. Um, and I guess just like overall in terms of like uh, American sports culture, like you said, yeah, it is. We're now in the doldrums of summer. We're at the Major League Baseball All-Star break. I mean, you know, I think playoff baseball is like some of the most exciting sports you can watch because like the, the, the tension on each pitch is so palpable. But yeah, in the middle of August, it's it's kind of it's kind of dead weight. But like as like as baseball's popularity is sort of waning, it it seems like football, the NFL, is is going to continue to be like the most dominant sport, the most highly watched sport, the most bet upon sport. Like, do you see any other sport coming close to football's, uh, you know, sort of purchase on the American public's imagination and attention? I keep saying rugby, but I just say that because I hope that rugby gets more popular. I keep calling it the sport of the future. And at some point, <laughs> at some point that will be true. We might not even make the world cup, but uh, I, I just, I keep hoping that rugby will get more and more popular because it's so much fun to watch. But uh, no, with, with baseball, you're right. Like, once the NFL kicks back into high gear, then people just completely forget about baseball until it's time for the playoffs. And I, I've long said that the day after the all-star game in baseball, that should be the day that America votes because there's, there's nothing going on in sports. There's no reason to be sitting in your house watching television during the day on the day after the all-star game. There's, there's nothing going on in sports at that time. And the NFL, it's funny because they know that they can take whatever they want they can they can put a game on any day of the week. They can put a, a, a game on any holiday and instantly own that holiday. So for a long time, the NBA was the only thing that would happen on Christmas. And that was their day. They'd always have like three premier matchups against some of the superstars. And that's really when a lot of people think, okay, now the NBA season started on Christmas because that's their first like introduction where they get to sit down all day and watch basketball. But the NFL last year decided, you know what? The NBA has had it too good for too long. So we're going to schedule games on Christmas Day, too. And then they scheduled teams that were going to be playing in the same markets that they, they knew the NBA was going to have. Like, they knew that they were going to put LeBron on TV. So, like, okay, we're going to have either the Rams or the Chargers are going to play to capture the Los Angeles market. So the NBA has reached a point where they can just take literally whatever they can – whatever they want, they will steal from you. And it's, yeah, between September – and uh, early February, there's they're really they're the they know that they're the biggest game in town that nothing can ever touch them. The only thing that could maybe touch them would be uh, Jim Jordan and Congress <laughs> who, <laughs> who, who grilled Roger Goodell in a deposition and had some wildly irrelevant questions that I don't even remember what he was trying to ask. I think he did ask about Dave Portnoy being banned from attending like NFL games or something like that. But yeah, the. Uh, the most recent hearing that the NBA or that the NFL uh, had to go through in Congress was funny because they're trying to get at my man, Dan Snyder, the owner of the Washington commanders, King, King. all around, mm. all around good guy. And they've been trying to serve him with a deposition for like a month and a half. And his lawyer has just been like, no, we're not going to take that. And I didn't know that you could do that. I didn't know that you could just have a lawyer say the old Howard no, Hughes. Yeah, we'd, we'd just rather not testify if that's all the same to you. So what Snyder has been doing, he's been out on his yacht for like the last two months, and he's just not going to come back to the United States. He's just going to be cruising around the world, just defying Congress, being like, no, you can't serve me with papers because I'm somewhere adrift off Algeria, and there's really nothing that you can do about it. I just I need Dan Snyder to testify in front of Congress so that I can just go through his testimony with a fine-tooth comb and find some way that he's perjured himself. When they maybe when they ask like your height, 
I'm pretty sure they asked me that. It's like at the DMV. And he says 5'9". I'm going to be all over that shit. I'm going to be doing like the 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 Photoshop angles, making sure that, okay, this guy that is Tom Cruise is 5'4". And he's staying next to him here. That looks to me like it's more like three inches taller than Tom Cruise. You've perjured yourself, sir. Resign. Uh, yeah, Howard Hughes avoided process servers regarding uh, a lawsuit related to his sale of uh, his TWA controlling share of the TWA stock that he uh, he had. He avoided process servers, I think, until he died by having an army of Howard Hughes lookalikes um, just be like spread out all over the country at any given moment, like just sort of dividing the attention of everyone who is trying to serve him a subpoena. So uh, Dan Snyder, I guess the uh, yacht off Algeria uh, technique works as well. Worked for L. Ron Hubbard for a lot of years. So uh, cheers to the owner of the Washington Commanders. Well, like, see, going back to going back to the first half, how can we criticize what Russia is doing to Brittany Griner while we're doing this? We're making Dan Snyder hide on his yacht for the entire summer. That's true. Dan Snyder, American hero. I fucking yeah. hate that guy. I swear to God, the worst, <laughs> he's, he's, the worst he's thing about the Dan worst Snyder, owners in sports by far, which is saying a lot of, because they're all they're all terrible. But he's probably the worst, right? He he is the worst, and I hate him with the, with the passion of a thousand burning suns. And the shitty thing is, he's going to outlive me because he's a billionaire, <laughs> and so he'll probably live to be a hundred and ten years old. Then he'll give the team to his one of his shithead sons, and nothing nothing will ever change uh, as far as that goes. He's he is a bad guy, but I, I read an article in the Washington Post about him last week, which describes some of the stuff that he did behind the scenes. And some of it is just like he's not as much a cartoon supervillain as he is just like uh, the biggest dickhead from a 1980s movie where he's a bully. So like he had he had uh, one of his team vice presidents come up in the booth and they were watching cheerleader practice. And so they brought their binoculars out, you know, just guy stuff. <laughs> And uh, Dan Snyder was looking at the cheerleaders and he's like, man, those cheerleaders, those cheerleaders are ugly. You must be gay and would like slap his friend. And th- like, that's that's the mentality of Dan Snyder for ma- making fun of his friend for hiring cheerleaders that he thought aren't hot enough for his taste. And at another point, he sold a um, he sold one of the suites in uh, in I forget what they're even calling it right now. It's not FedEx Field anymore, but it's where they play their ho- home games. He sold a season ticket suite to the Lerner family who owned the Nationals. And uh, he was pissed off at the Lerners because he thought that they they screwed him over slightly on another business deal. So he had his minions pour milk down on the carpet underneath where they sat so that by game time on Sunday, it would be like a mildly stinky box. So this is this is the level of of like cartoonish supervillainry that people, some people think he's going for, he's just kind of a dickhead. He's just an all around dickhead with no redeeming qualities. Well, the milk thing, I can't defend the first thing though. I mean, that could have been like misinterpreted. What if he was like trying to help that guy come out and he's just like a little rough around the edges. Like what if that guy, yeah. What if that guy actually was like, well, Oh, okay. Well, like maybe I am gay. That would have been maybe the best plot twist of all time. Then Dan Snyder would be like, I'm a super ally. <laughs> all right, here's yeah, a, the Washington allies. <laughs> uh, all right, here, here's my last question for you. Uh, this is something I, I was hoping that uh, you could explain to me. Uh, it relates to, it was a, uh, a clip that was sent around on Twitter a couple weeks ago 
it involved uh, I, I I don't know the guy's name, but he is sort of a uh, a, a portly gentleman who is an NBA reporter, and he was on ESPN. Uh, we, he does the fingers up kind of thing, and he was describing you know in in sort of like a Hal Holbrook and all the president's men style, a sort of. Uh, Never, never saying outright, but implying some sort of very nefarious conspiracy involving a trade that the Utah Jazz made and why their head coach Quinn Snyder left abruptly. Do you have any? You know, do you know the clip I'm referring to, and do you know what he's referring to with this Utah Jazz-based conspiracy? Yeah, it was Brian Windhorst, and Brian Windhorst. Uh, he he came up because he covered all of LeBron's games when LeBron was in high school, and so then he just kind of became. The, uh, the clearinghouse for all the information that LeBron wanted to leak out. So he would just tell Brian Windhorse and then he would just put it out there into the universe. And that's how he kind of like gained capital in the breaking news of the NBA world. But he was on, I think it was first take and he just went on this. It was a masterclass in terms of like stringing along his, all the other panelists that were on the show with him saying, now why would the Utah jazz do this? And he made it enthralling. Like I, I need to know what the fuck the Utah jazz are up to. Maybe like one of the <laughs> most boring teams in the NBA, but he made it so interesting. And then about, I want to say eight hours later, the Utah Jazz started trading away all their best players after that. So Windhorse knew something and he was just like letting everybody know like, hey, I know something about the Jazz that you don't know, but I'm going to I'm going to string you along and and leave you wanting more. The other panelists on the on the show were just like, OK, well, is do you have a point, Brian? And Brian had no point. He just loved holding court. He's just, he's an absolute king. It was, yeah, it was very much like, uh, like meeting in a parking lot, being meeting in a parking structure and to be handed a briefcase with, with Utah jazz written on it. Yeah. He, he, uh, it was the con- it was delivered with the confidence of a man that knew that he would be proven right by history, but also knew at the same time that the words that were coming out of his mouth were the most inconsequential verbiage that you could put out there. It was wonderful. Okay, actually, I, 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 one more, one, one more, one more thing. Um, I did see recently someone speculate that Stephen A. Smith should run for Senate, and I don't know how serious it was, but as soon as I heard it, I thought that Stephen A. Smith is basically, if he were in the U.S. Senate, would be basically the perfect U.S. senator. Like I, I can't think of someone who is better suited to the U.S. Senate than Stephen A. Smith. Uh, do, have you have you heard this rumor? What do you think about Stephen A. Smith as a future political candidate? Yeah, I say I say yes. Stephen A. Smith can do whatever he wants. He can do no wrong for the most part. You remember Jim Traficant? The, no, the of course. Beam me up. From beam me, me up. up. Beam me up. Yeah, Stephen A. Smith is as close as we'll get to having a Jim Traficant announcing sports. He's uh, you 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 hang on every word that he says. Most of it doesn't make sense, uh, but still enthralling nonetheless to listen to. My only problem with Stephen A. Smith is he has decided that he's taking a month off. At ESPN, I think he gets like ten million a year. He's taking a month off because he just had shoulder surgery, and uh, <laughs> like if if a professional basketball player decided to take a month off for an injury that had nothing to do with their job, Stephen A. Smith would be the first person to talk about their legacy. He's the legacy <laughs> king, and I don't. I still don't really know what a legacy is, but all I know is like if you talk about somebody's legacy. Uh, that will generate, you know, five days of airtime where you just get to debate whether or not this person is is honoring themselves in the moment. So I actually think Stephen A. Smith taking off a month of work with a shoulder surgery issue that is diminishing his legacy as a talking head. I just think as a U.S. senator, though, like he already pretty much has it covered. 
and the uh, you know, like the stock meme response when he says, "I'm here to let you know, first of all, we don't care." And I think, like you know, if if you have mastered that response to any question, you can be a U.S. senator. Just let people know. I hear what you're saying, but I'm here to let you know we don't care. We don't. He's care. great. He's great at emasculating anybody. That's that's Stephen A. Smith's real gift. It doesn't matter who you are. He'll just sometimes pretend not to hear you when you deliver your point to him, and then he'll just respond to whatever straw man argument that he's already thought up in his brain. So yeah, I'd say he's got he's got adequate training to be a United States senator. I would just want to see Skip Bayless also run <laughs> for U.S. senator. Just to have the, imagine those two guys debating Roe v. Wade at each other, <laughs> that would that would be a treat. You talk about getting people more involved in, in their civic engagement, and watching C-SPAN ratings would go through the roof. It would be incredible. Uh, but Brett Kavanaugh, he he sealed his legacy. I mean, you know, he, he, he talk about it. he's he's a lunch pail type jurist, and you know, people are going to be talking about him for generations to come. Yeah, yeah. Does Amy does Amy Coney Barrett have the clutch gene? <laughs> And if she does, is it ethical to actually uh, use uh, modern stem cell technology to try to isolate it? <laughs> is there anyone? Is there anyone in the sports media like coming up right now who is like a, a legitimate heir to uh, Skip or Stephen A. in terms of um, just being the top blowhard? Top blowhard coming up. So I'm a little bit concerned about this because with the wave of, uh, of the new media and podcasters. There's not a lot of the old dinosaurs in the game anymore. And I think that's actually bad for the ecosystem. We love having a guy that's like wrong and loud on TV so that we can then disagree with that person and be like, this is such bullshit. What I'm no longer watching ESPN. You know, like we, the more that they become uh, targeted towards more of a younger audience, I think people are going to find that they miss having the, the wrong assholes on TV all the time. You have to have somebody that you know is always wrong. And right now, the way that it's going, there's, I don't think there is an heir. I don't think that there's anyone out there that's qualified to be there, with the exception of our, our great friend, Nick Adams, who I would like to see. I would like to see. Just, you know what? I want Nick Adams to stick to sports. When he starts. <laughs> Stop talking politics starts, all the time. Yeah. yeah. When, he, when he like gets out of his depth in politics, he loses me. I want him to be on TV telling me, like, yes, Tim Tebow could, could play any sport and be an instant MVP. I want people being like Matthew Della Vadova should be an American citizen. We should make him run for office, like that sort of thing. I, I don't think that there's anybody in in the up and coming media that could hold any of those guys jocks, honestly. Well, it's a whew, it's a grim future. It's a grim future for the sports media if they're not cultivating if they if they're not cultivating the next generation of being wrong on television. Yeah, it's an art. I'm pretty good at it, but I do it unintentionally. So that's <laughs> I don't even count for that. Like I don't, my takes aren't, aren't strong enough. Um, I just happen to be wrong about just about everything that I say. I, I actually had a question for you guys though, cause I thought about this last week. This is more in uh, the political sphere. There were a lot of people that made a significant amount of money um, being like the former liberal that now has turned conservative. And then they were welcomed with, with open arms by a conservative audience. Is, do you think that there's a market space out there for somebody to be like, I was a big Trump guy. But Biden is fucking killing it. Like I am <laughs> a massive. I might, I might have to rebrand to being that guy. It would be good. You, a, a good move would be you go, look, I'm glad he stole it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Great job. The ends justify the means. I was like, I was pissed at first, but then he got in and just got, goddamn. he knew better than us. Way to, way yeah. to get those mules going, uh, Brandon. Congratulations. 
Everyone's talking about him falling off the bike. They're not talking about the 20 miles of hardcore road cycling that he put in ahead of them. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think like, like uh, I think there's always going to be, there's always going to be a spot for um, among the, in, in the liberal media for uh, conservative apostates or like, I mean, the thing is they're not really apostates. They haven't changed any of their opinions. Like, you know, Bill Crystal is a perfect example of that. They just want, someone who's like uh like seems like an intelligent conservative to say uh to them and their audience like actually you're very smart and correct and even i the a republican is willing to say so the problem with the former trump guy is as it regards to like i guess like uh like uh, liberal fans of the news is i don't know like that 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 brand is just so toxic that uh i don't i don't think they want to be told that they're right and correct by a former trump supporter they want to told, be told that they're right and correct by a former George W. Bush supporter. So I think yeah. like the, the big money is always going to be in a liberal going in the other direction. The W Project instead of the Lincoln Project. That's what we that's what we got to get off the ground right now. Uh, what, what about this? What if uh, a lot of people are talking about the next uh, Democrat to run for office for president? Because um, I think everybody's like accepted that something is going to happen with Biden. What if it was dream ticket Hillary as president? W as vice president in the spirit of unity and reaching across the aisle. I mean, I don't think you, you're, I don't think you're honestly, I don't think you're too far off of that. When, at least when it comes to like Liz Cheney, because I mean, like no Republican is going to vote for her ever again, but I think there are plenty of Democrats who would, if she was a VP, it would be just very, I, I'm waiting for that to happen for like the, the rehabilitation tour of, of W like, you know what? His paintings aren't all that bad. <laughs> yeah. All right, I think we should uh, we should wrap it up there for today's episode. I want to thank uh, PFT commentator for joining us today and uh, talking some sports. Uh, part of my take, macro dosing. If people want more PFT in their life, uh, where should they check out your shows? Yeah, check them out. Uh, they're on the internet. So just log on, baby. All right, perfect. I love it. Gentlemen, until next time, bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. By the borderline He started playing hockey By the time he was nine His dad took the hose And froze the backyard Little buddy dreamed He was Rocket Richard He grew up big And he grew up tough He saw himself Scoring for the Wings Or Canucks But he wasn't that good With a puck Buddy's real talent was beating people up His heart wasn't in it But the crowd ate it up Through peewees and juniors And midgets and mites He must have racked up